What is happening, my tree spirit brethren? Hope you are having a day so luxurious that your neighbours strain their necks peering over the back fence in sheer envy. If you are visiting my website, dylanrankin.com, thanks for popping by. This is my audio-only version of my comical pondering session, Rectal Carnage. I would encourage you to watch the video version of Rectal Carnage via my website or on YouTube to enjoy the full original creation. But I understand that your eyeballs might already be occupied with grit, dust and pollution. So, please enjoy Dylan Rankin's fermented comedy, Rectal Carnage, the audio version. Cheers. Fame is an odd thing. The main incentive for becoming famous has remained the same throughout the ages. How else are you going to get a 20-year-old to suck in your genitalia for the next 60 years as you rest your elbows upon various solid gold inanimate objects, as they watch your skin day after day slowly sag further from your bones and further down into the toilet bowl beneath them until they're more or less subaquatic. But The reason that someone becomes famous has changed throughout the ages. A thousand years ago, it used to be dangerous to be famous. And I don't mean you had to dodge the odd cocktail olive that was launched at you from the bar in a Friday evening. Killing a famous person used to be one of the main ways of becoming famous in the first place. If you were famous, there were no days off, you had to be on your guard. There's always been that born into fame and power scenario for the few. The very visible few, but the few. A modern example would be the British royal family. You're pushed out of a vagina and your servant judges how the midwife catches you with an insulting gaze. In ancient Greece, ancient Rome, the Assyrian Empire, interesting periods in the past, if you were born a royal or into a ruling class, there was a real risk that your sister, your illegitimate brother, your cousin, your neighbour has painted a giant bullseye on your back. They want your spot in the lunch queue and, well, we know what happens then. You've probably seen Game of Thrones. Rarely are they going to dispose of you in a humane fashion in order to get your place. Having the world handed to you on a plate gives people even in the same social standing as you a rather large chip on their shoulder. And remember Colonel Gaddafi? Remember how he died? Knives up the arse. That could be you. That could be you. An entire cutlery set with your name on it. Even if you're the most popular dude at the conga party. Any change can be lethal. A political coup, a major culture shift, a natural death, the threat of invasion by a foreign force, or just the right person comes along. No matter how feared or diplomatic your reputation, as a matter of course, your head's getting lobbed off and it's bouncing down the stone steps like James Earl Jones in Conan the Barbarian. It would be seen as mercy for your captor to hang you, 
unheard of to be spared the highly real decapitation in front of all the citizens in the city square. A couple of hundred years ago. That's common entertainment. Fuck MasterChef. Can you imagine the mother-son conversations en route to the routine corporal punishment being dished out at the town market every Sunday afternoon? Do you think we'll be sprayed with dark or light-coloured blood this time, Mummy? I don't know, son, but if you see an internal organ flying by, grab it for supper. It's an event for people. There's not much pizzazz and lobbing off ahead, but hung, drawn and quartered. Inners spilled out onto white hot coals. Feed the royal dogs his cock. You could throw a drum roll in there somewhere. It'd give the population something to think about other than the hiking grain prices. Maybe they'll have second thoughts and bend that parchment of complaints they're currently holding. Just keep their head down and grumble quietly instead. Examples were being made. No fucking about. When you think about it, if you're having to order the death of several people every week or so by hanging them publicly, what do you do to send a message? To discourage them from doing something that this guy's just done? Bearing in mind that the civilization next door to you is the head honcho there sends a message by feeding dismembered parts of family members to their own extended family members. There's a slice of your Uncle Jim now, tuck in or you're next. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> pass the salt. <laughs> you know what I mean? So say you, as the ancient famous person that we're talking about, manages to dodge all of those pitfalls. Now all you need to do is employ someone to taste that your wine's not poisoned before every cup you sip. Every excursion out of your personal quarters could be your last, and you're stuck in that awkward position where you have to be surrounded by armed guards at all times. But that means that you have to have armed guards that have been trained to kill for the majority, if not all of their lives, within stabbing distance. All day. Every day. How do you know that they're loyal to you and not your psychotic sibling? Do you even recognise the guard standing behind you? Is it Greg? Is it Greg? It could be Greg. Can't be sure under that helmet. What if it's not Greg? What if it's not Greg? What if it's not Greg? In ancient Greece, how much would it really cost to have someone's bodyguard kill the guy that they're protecting? Five goats and a patch of grass and roads. In those days it was only a matter of time before you'd have to stab someone anyway. A lot of armies at that time were like militias. They weren't the professional full-time soldiers as we think of them today. So the local baker and the local fisherman would be there on the day, marching forward with big Stelios the barkeep, spear in hand, having to go to war and kill people. Then it's back to work tomorrow, get the rolls in, buy the wheat, find out if all your friends have been killed. Brilliant. Oh, he owed me all that money for the wheat. Well, he's dead. So, tough. That scenario might happen a few times a year. And if that was happening in your street, how much would it then cost for you to, to kill someone and get the hell out of there and just chill and farm with your family and look after them and 
not have to think about looking someone dead in the eye as they embed an axe into you and remove it as you, you watch your, your bills spill out in front of you and empty onto the mud and horseshit that you're both standing in. What would it cost for you to kill a motherfucker nowadays if that was the same scenario, that, is that same set of circumstances? Not much more than a case of wine and good Wi-Fi, I'd bet. You see stories springing up all the time online about someone killing their lifelong friend or their partner or close relative over something petty, like a cheeseburger. And not not even a succulent twin patty, you know, gourmet burger with vintage cheddar and, and a local a local sauce that's been handed down generations. That you could understand. But no. It's a fucking $2 McDonald's hamburger created from the hoof meat that's been power hosed off a dispirited cow's carcass and shaped into a circle by the colossal force of 20 superseded US tank barrels bearing down from above in an oversized honeycomb grid formation. Bearing down on the, to this thick tablecloth of grey tinted meat cellulite, a continuous pulverizing, phallic, meat piston cutting machine that's cutting through matter on an industrial scale. It hardly seems worth blowing your childhood friend's brains out at the McDonald's drive through over, is it? Surely there's more to the story than the cheeseburger. We're just not privy to it. There's only two people that know what happened, and one of them is in bits currently sliding down a shuddering high school student's face as they're frozen to the spot with a milkshake in each hand. The possibilities are endless, but I feel such a horrific reaction boils down to more than just seeing red, a surge in anger. I think we're entering into the realm of zoophilia, incest, that sort of thing. So you're not going to tell the world that Raymond, your recently deceased close friend, walked in on you pinning down your tabby cat. Your mind's going to be racing as the reality of the situation sets in and the adrenaline subsides. Answers will be demanded. A valid reason is required and the clock's ticking with the entire division of police officers breathing into your face asking the same question over and over and over. Why did you do it? 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 Your eyes are frantically darting around the car, but everything's attached. You can't blame it on the gear stick. You can't blame it on, on, on the handbrake. You, what about your phone? You can blame it on your phone. Is your phone even in the car? Oh, the cheeseburger! The cheeseburger officer! I've killed that motherfucker over a beaten patty! Think of that. You go to jail for life without parole. And every second Tuesday, you're reminded of that fateful day at the McDonald's drive through window as they slap down a burger and chips onto your cafeteria tray at chow time. The only difference between then and now is that you have to keister your allocated tomato sauce sachets so they can be fermented into some sort of jailhouse liquor by Big Jim of the Aryan Brotherhood. And we all know that there's no compromise with Big Jim and his crew or you end up taking a spin, locked in an industrial-sized tumble dryer as you slowly fill it up with your own vomit before exiting onto the wipe-clean floor 
to be showered in steroid piss. Hmm. The strangest thing about this horrific scenario, lying dripping on the floor covered in urine, is that you probably have a big smile on your face. Do you know why you have a big smile on your face? Because inside you are jumping for joy for one reason and one reason only. As long as everyone in the laundry unit is pissing on you, their dick's flaccid. It's when they've emptied their bladders and are standing there with their cocks in their hands and have three hours to kill before lights out, then you've got real fucking problems. Real problems. No wonder there's so much contraband in prisons. Let your wife subtly ram a pre-lubricated kilo of heroin up your ass at visiting time. No problem. It's easier than everyone's dick. How else are you going to spend the day after finding out that your cellmate has just fractured someone's skull for using the wrong towel? I doubt it's by reading Oliver Twist. Why not pop some pills or shoot up or something? So what if you get put in isolation for a week? You'd probably say, great, I need to get some sleep. Getting to get caught up on it. I can finally go to sleep with both of my eyes shut for a change. It's incredible some of the objects they've found up someone's ass get smuggled into prisons. Real examples are a grenade, a hundred bags of heroin, a pound of gold. One guy's butt was found to contain two mobile phones, two batteries, a pair of pliers, two drill bits, five nails, eight hacksaw blades and three SIM cards. It's like he just spread his cheeks and just hoovered up the middle aisle in Aldi. The most surprising thing about that list is that it didn't also contain three metres of bubble wrap padding. In movies and in documentaries, you'd always see them trying to catch out butt smugglers by asking the inmate to bend over, spread them and cough. But I don't think that's the most effective way to do it in a lot of scenarios. Say you've got a handgun up there. It's not like the flipping barrel's going to pop out. And say you, as the butt smuggler, find out that you're actually quite rectally gifted. It's more spacious back there than you had first expected. Do you just reserve that area solely for prohibited items to store? Or after a while, is it like an empty drawer in your home? You might as well use it for something. Might as well throw a torch in there or a couple of spare pens or the equivalent. You don't want to waste a visiting day. A loved one is making a trip out to the prison anyway. Why not pick up a couple of cigars and a pack of Hubba Bubba? Just shove that up there. Otherwise it's just like walking around with an empty shopping bag. What's the point? I suppose the most common jailhouse contraband being smuggled into prisons would be drugs. But what if the packaging burst? What if the packaging burst of a hundred bags of heroin? No need to have the prison officer tell you to bend over, spread them and cough. Just monitor their expression when you tell them that you're going to jab a chicken skewer up their ass. That's all you need to do. It's common knowledge that drugs and the lower intestine does, do not mix, whether it's sticking drugs up there or going to the toilet the morning after a night of illicit decision making and substance taking are just straightforward 
having less control over your organs while high and having an accident. A female friend of mine told me a few years ago that she was at a music festival partying pretty hard and accidentally shit herself. Not a big deal, these things happen. But I made the mistake of inquiring further and asking, when it happened, was it a lot of shit? You were in public. Not the best cleaning facilities at a music festival. A lot of shit would be a big problem to get rid of. So she described to me how much she had shit herself by using the strangest unit of measurement. She went on to describe the volume of said accidental poop as about a Coke can's worth. About a Coke can's worth of shit. An odd scale of measurement, is it not? I was expecting terms such as you know, a half log, a, a, a splatter, a nugget, a, a Hershey's kiss, a, but not a Coke can's worth. Of all the things that have kept me awake at night, about a Coke can's worth of shit has to have been the most haunting. 